You're listening to the Cool Collaborations Podcast, a podcast about success in collaboration, where we hear about collaboration successes from around the world, and we'll look into what made those collaborations work. I'm your host, Scott Miller. Hey everyone, I can't believe we reached episode 18. My guest on this episode is Gord Lambert. A few years ago, Gord was the head of the organization that I worked for, and I had the chance to interact with him a few times. But in recent months, we've reconnected and have had great conversations about collaboration. It only made sense to have him on the podcast. So Gord Lambert is retired now. Well, let's say close to retired because there's still a few projects on the go. He was part of the team at Suncor Energy before he retired to pick up a 16-month gig at the Alberta Energy Regulator as the CEO. That's where I met him. As you'll hear from our conversation, he was a big part of the formation of the Canada's Oil Sands Innovation Alliance, or COSIA, which is a -a first-of-a-kind energy industry collaboration. As always, it's a great pleasure to speak with Gord, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Mr. Gord Lambert, how are you today? I'm great, Scott. Thanks. Where are you joining from uh, in the world today, and what's it like where you are? I'm sitting here in Fernie, BC, which is right in the heart of the mountains, as uh, you would know. But uh, yeah, we're just in between seasons here, uh, getting the mountain bike out. So uh, yeah, life's good. Right, right on the cusp of getting outside. I like it. So can you introduce yourself, maybe provide a little background so listeners have an idea who you are and kind of where you've come through your experience? Yeah, sure, Scott. Uh, Well, I'm 40 years in on my uh, career at this point in time. I'm a biologist by training, but all of my career has been in the oil and gas industry and uh, environment, health and safety, and also in sustainability. And I retired from Suncor in 2015. And since 2015, I was asked to serve on the Alberta Climate Leadership Expert Panel that uh, helped to develop the Alberta Climate Leadership Plan. I chaired a task force as part of that work on technology and innovation and how to fund, how to use carbon tax uh, levy revenue to fund technology and innovation. And uh, I was then appointed to the Alberta Energy Regulator and had the privilege of serving 16-month term there as the interim CEO. So my post-retirement life's been a bit bit on the busy side. I, I just would also add on this uh, theme of collaboration that in the latter part of my career at Suncor, I was uh, very involved in the creation of Canada's Oil Sands Innovation Alliance, COSIA. And it was a project that I really took a lot of uh, pride in and uh, yeah, really uh, pleased that it's on the playing field and doing great things. Well, that's fantastic. We're going we're gonna to come around to uh, COSIA or that oil sands innovation piece again, because I want to dig into a little bit about how that came to be and some of the challenges you had in putting that together or working to put that together. But I kind of wanted to start off because you and I have had this kind of conversation a few times now around collaboration. And you get quite excited when we start to talk about collaboration. So I'm kind of curious, what is it that makes collaboration for you? Like, What makes it important in your mind? Well, just to say that uh, at the outset that working as part of teams is uh, is a way of life in, in uh, all facets of uh, business and uh, and society. 
but I would say that collaboration to me is joint effort to achieve common goals. And a way to think of that is it's different than cooperation, which is, I call it pursuit of individual interests jointly. Uh, so you do see teams and, and efforts where, you know, people come together to share information. They, they have a great lunch and then they, they leave the room and nothing has really changed a whole lot. Collaboration is a much higher bar in my view. It requires trust amongst the parties. And typically the dynamics of those groups are that free riders are uh, not appreciated. Everybody has to pull on the oars together to achieve a common outcome. And I also use the phrase often, issues of the commons, to describe instances where collaboration is really essential. So any any issues of the commons, like uh, climate change is almost the ultimate, by necessity require a deeply collaborative mode. No one entity or person is going to solve that, that one. It's a society, global issue. And so, uh, yeah, that's some initial thoughts. Do you see collaboration as having a creative element to it? Well, absolutely. When you, you get a good chemistry of people coming together, a good mix, I call it a two plus two equals five type of an outcome where uh, you uh, end up with people building on the ideas and thinking of others and often with surprising results as opposed to lower common denominator. But, you know, that comes from intense engagement, deep listening, and a real team building, uh, call it forming, storming, norming, and performing uh, element to these collaborative tables that has to occur. Yeah, there's always that element of having to get through the hard stuff, the churn before you get to the the benefit. But it's also, I, I imagine you've seen it where teams will get to a certain point and all of a sudden the energy comes way up because they've gone through the, the valley and they've made it out the other side and now they're starting to see themselves click a little bit. Is that the case? Absolutely. And I, I can often tell when I enter a room with a group of people, whether it's a collaborative exercise or whether it's a cooperative one. If I went to a COSIA steering committee meeting, you could see the energy in the room was always very high. The enthusiasm and, and engagement was always very noteworthy. Meanwhile, uh, you know, I'd go over to the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers for one of their uh, meetings, and you know, it's just quiet. People are politely listening to one another. These were committee meetings, but there was no obligation to actually act on what you were hearing, and you just wouldn't see the energy there. It was a, a normal, we call it a normal business meeting as opposed to an energized one. Do you think we're missing the boat in regards to collaboration and in, in things like those kinds of sort of regular committee meetings? It seems like we're not capitalizing on the talent we have in the room effectively, but I'm curious what you think. Oh, I, I 100% agree. Uh, and, you know, it's a matter of one, I, I worry that the term collaboration gets misused. I'll talk to folks where they say, oh, of course we're collaborating. But when I test to say, well, have you declared an actual 
goal or outcome that you've jointly committed to? Well, uh, no. You know, are, are there obligations of membership participation? Well, no, not really. <laughs> and so when I said collaboration is a higher bar, it is this expectation of actually something has to occur as a result of this joint effort. It's uh, not just coming together and being, you know, fuzzy or uh, obscure about the purpose of, of sitting together. So when you mentioned right at the at the outset in your introduction a little bit, the, the work you did to pull together the Canadian Oil Sands Innovation Alliance, COSIA. So can you tell the story of how that came to be, how it started and, and how some of the key things you learned along the way? Yeah, absolutely, Scott. It was uh, premised on a common interest that I sensed, which was that environmental performance needed to be driven at a regional scale in the Wood Buffalo area by the oil sands operators. Any one company being greener than one another was fine, but it was insufficient. And so imagine competing then where you have, you know, pockets of success, but it wasn't truly at the scale required. I just said to uh, Suncor CEO Rick George and, and our COO Steve Williams at the time that, you know, we need to rethink how we approach tackling environmental performance improvement and really frame it as a regional scale problem that had to be solved. And that was the genesis really of uh, talking to the other operators about that thought and about could we achieve more together by working together versus separately. And also, was it an area of competition in reality? And back to, you know, any one of us winning, it would be insufficient that recognition that, you know, there are areas where we compete, but there are these other areas like environmental performance improvement where collaboration actually is far more powerful and appropriate. And also for efficient allocation of resources, because we were replicating the testing of tailings treatment equipment and technology, we were replicating work being pitched to us by third parties because it was under confidentiality. And so a lot of duplicated effort was involved in the current state. And it was a case of creating dissatisfaction and situational awareness of the current state just not working and then starting to imagine what a future state could look like if we collaborated. How did that sort of alliance come together with some of the municipal, sort of the non-industrial perspectives included? I can see how you could make the business case for collaboration, given how you kind of differentiated sort of areas of competition from areas that are more common, as you've said. Was there also an element of sort of municipal and, and sort of local people involvement in that, in that work? Well, in the COSIA case, it was very much a technical journey. It was a deeply subject matter expertise-oriented collaboration that was required but we knew the solutions needed to be launched and implemented in a regional setting with stakeholders. But it was a much more of an industry-owned and operated approach, I would say. There is an entity called the Oil Sands Community Alliance, OSCA, right. which is a collaboration amongst the oil sands firms of taking on social 
issues and uh, see they're active in the uh, in the whole COVID and vaccination uh, response in Wood Buffalo right now. So OSCA was set up to tackle social issues on the environment side. It was a case of being sensitive, though, and, and really reacting to expectations of stakeholders that environmental performance improvement be accelerated at a material scale. So it was not in isolation of listening to the critics and to voices that we knew were important, and even in the capital markets world, saying that the oil sands was resource intensive and had to had to reduce its environmental footprint. So the technical focus of the whole alliance, did that pose any particular challenges, given what you've talked about around the sort of the, you're, you're lurking on the edges of the, of competition. You've got sort of unique technology. I imagine you had to come up with some interesting or unique ways of, of being able to collaborate and share some of that technical expertise and maybe some proprietary interest, that kind of thing. How did that come about? How did you navigate? <laughs> it was not easy. Uh, I'll, I'll just say I'm, I'm smiling because uh, there's the hard elements, you know, and I'll touch on these that are things that are embedded in the ing- agreement amongst the parties and that kind of thing. The cultural aspects, the softer human aspects are almost more difficult and also more powerful and, and important. And amongst our technical people, there was a sense of uh, we know more than the others do mm-hmm. in a particular area, whether it was reclamation or whether it was uh, tailings uh, reduction or water treatment and use. And so this pride or the not invented here syndrome was uh, present as soon as we started to convene them. You could tell that it wasn't immediate great chemistry. And they knew one another often professionally. But to actually have to commit to joint work was a forming, storming, norming situation. And so you couldn't bypass that. It was team building on a really important scale. But we did it not with a blank piece of paper. So back to the harder elements, it was a case where we worked with the CEOs to initially draft the framework conditions for COSIA. So it was top-down driven of declaring that this is the way the world was going to work. There was no opting out. The CEO signed a charter document that had these uh, rules of the game, if you will, that uh, the lawyers then used to draft legal agreements from. And so for our staff, when they were put onto the COSIA tables, it was with an orientation of here's the desired way in which we're going to work together and uh, make it happen. <laughs> so there wasn't any, uh, this wasn't volunteers. The, these were folks that were uh, going to be evaluated for how successful the COSIA journey would be. And uh, it, so that it was uh, feet to the fire a bit, yeah. not just uh, volunteerism. Right. So you talked about the cultural challenges and you kind of work from the top down. Did you hit any of those cultural challenges at the top, at the CEO level? Oh, yes. They had to come together as a oil sands. We called it the oil sands CEO council was the table that we created for them to exert governance of, of not just COSIA, but also I mentioned that oil sands community alliance. 
So these CEOs had to come together to adopt a regional perspective on that whole business that was really at the heart of this. So that our destinies were tied together and that we needed to do things jointly as opposed to separately. And inside your plant fence was not appropriate as a mindset when you're dealing with airsheds and watersheds and landscapes. And so it was them having to reorient themselves that, hey, this uh, defining success on environmental performance improvement is a much bigger radar screen than what they had uh, been used to with compliance to their own site operating license requirements, that kind of thing. They had to become quite knowledgeable and engaged on what the trends were regionally as much as the trends within their own sites. So this was educational for them, a shift of mindset, let's call it. And then the trust started to build. So, you know, that's really what you have to get to in the chemistry of any of these collaboration tables is a very high degree of trust where it's not agreement on everything either. It's having intense debates, but you can agree to disagree and do it uh, respectfully and, and still with a view of the common goal to be achieved. Do you have any sort of stories or anecdotes of sort of somebody who maybe started off as a doubter and kind of did the big shift and kind of has now become an advocate? Have you seen that? Maybe it's not so much just in Cosia, but in general. Oh, yes. You know, there were some firms that, you know, I, I would say uh, an example was Imperial Oil early days. Uh, Bruce Marsh was the CEO. And, you know, Imperial and Exxon, they'd had a long history in the oil sands. They have immense talent on technical uh, capabilities. And when we first started to come together and, and uh, the idea was tabled of sharing intellectual property, that caused a whole b- bunch of ripples, uh, uh, both amongst the companies, but also within the firms. And I didn't have transparency, to be clear, about the debates that were held internal to each company on should we share intellectual property or not. But you could tell by the body language and otherwise that this was a voyage into the unknown. It had never been done in the oil and gas industry globally to sign an intellectual property sharing element to our joint venture agreement. So to get permission to have that occur in in Canada and in oil sands, that had to go right to the CEOs of the parent companies. And, you know, people told me, uh, not just from Imperial, but otherwise, that those were some tough debates too. Like, should we actually commit to playing the game this way? And this is this is way outside of our comfort zone. Yeah. Was that a an all-in at the beginning? Or was it a stage thing? Because you could see how to test the waters a little bit, you may want to say, well, we'll we'll share intellectual property in this particular area and see how this goes. Or was it, no, we're all in right from day one <laughs> on sharing? Well, it, it, you know, it was a, a very carefully crafted element of defining what exact types of technologies would be put into the sharing scope. So water technologies were uh, added reclamation was in scope, tailings treatment was in scope, but extraction technologies were out of scope. So 
think of it almost as almost any technologies that were above ground were in scope for IP sharing, but below ground of how you actually extract the uh, hydrocarbons from from the sand and in the case of in situ and otherwise was deemed competitive initially. But that's still, you know, the above ground water, land, air tailing scope led to the sharing of $1.3 billion of IP. So this was not, <laughs> did we, we didn't imagine that um, that amount of IP was going to be shared uh, when we created it, the entity. And since then, as the trust amongst the firms has, has grown, they've now abandoned the, the scope boundary uh, limitations. And so the firms are all now able to collaborate on every aspect actually of oil sands technology uh, from an IP sharing point of view. And all of that, what it does, the reason that's important is that it, it does accelerate progress because no one duplicates the testing of a new technology by a third party, for example. You test it once and everyone sees the results. And so it's all forward-oriented effort as opposed to a parallel duplicative effort that was in, in place prior to IP sharing. So you've mentioned this idea of acceleration now a couple of times, and I was hoping you would expand on that in how you see collaboration fueling acceleration and, and what you what's in the box when you talk about acceleration. Well, back to everything is forward-oriented effort. It all builds on itself. It also, in the case of oil sands and energy, technologies more broadly, these are capital intensive and high risk scale ups. So this isn't like developing apps where you can fail in a heartbeat and then move on to the next one very quickly by producing some new code. Often this is pots and kettles and and big design. There's design scale up risk and it's all capital intensive. So Collaboration allows companies to share in the risks of that. Another great example in the COSIA world, part of the acceleration or the element that slows progress is third-party testing of technologies on, on live stream sites. No one really wants to host third parties on their sites because of safety concerns that can arise, that kind of thing. So one of the projects of COSIA was to develop a water technology development center, a test center that's hosted at the Suncor Firebag site. It's a $180 million facility, but it's plug and play. So any third party can then come into that test center and get access to a live stream of produced water from an in situ operation and uh, see if it works or not. And uh, you can you can book bays there. Uh, <laughs> but all of that is to try and shorten the cycle time from idea to deployment. And so you see that concept playing out in more than just for the technical realm of, say, oil and gas development. You see it kind of as a universal element of collaboration, this acceleration. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's opportunities uh, everywhere you look, to be honest, uh, amongst universities, for example, uh, at the early stage uh, research. Uh, we just saw a tremendous uh, example of that Operation Warp Speed on developing the vaccine for COVID. You know, it's uh, it was 
declared early on that you could never develop a vaccine in a matter of, you know, uh, months or less than a year time frame. It just won't happen. It'll be years. And lo and behold, we've been able to come up with some vaccines that are working now, but did it at a beyond belief level of, uh, of timeline. And uh, that, that was from collaboration, you know, between researchers, companies, everyone pulling on the oars to achieve a common goal. Yeah. Is there a chance in that kind of a setting, and I'm thinking your COVID example sort of spurred in my head was that sometimes it ends up being all the big players that can collaborate and, and go at warp speed. And then some of the little, the smaller companies, the smaller interests get kind of run over a little bit. Is there a way to balance that out in your mind? Well, yeah, collaboration can happen at different scales. I, I think it depends on the type of outcome you're trying to achieve. Right. You know, if, if you're trying to come up with a, a global vaccine that can vaccinate the world, that's going to be, by definition, usually incumbent larger players. Yeah. But in the clean tech world, back to the energy universe, you know, there's lots of opportunities as we look at energy transition to create the better mousetrap of uh, how we use or produce energy and hydrogen, uh, you name the the form of energy, solar, wind, uh, where new entrants are going to uh, have ideas that are different and better. The trick there is, you know, can they collaborate to help scale those things up more quickly than doing it on their own? and you know still gain competitive some financial benefit from and so I, that's where universities collaborating with these startup firms the hosting of testing can be enabled by collaboration so just a, an interesting one scott is uh, on co2 utilization cosia created a carbon x prize with the x prize foundation where it was an open competition to identify new ideas for converting CO2 into usable products. And this, by its nature, was brand new ideas, usually by a bunch of people that had come together to do the research. And COSIA created, jointly with the Alberta government, a test site at a power plant just outside of Calgary that gave access to these small startups to get live stream CO2 off a stack for a gas-fired cogen power station and and test their ideas out in a, a really powerful way but it was small players who carbon cure was one of the winners more recently they just announced the two two winners and it's co adding co2 to concrete but that company started from scratch so it, it was a, an example of a small company a startup company but collaborating with COSIA members to help demonstrate the technology. Right. So it sounds like that that involvement of, as you said, various scales just depends on the, the problem, the question sort of at the front end, you know, how it's scoped and, and what's kind of required, I guess. Exactly, yeah. So just pivoting a little bit, I, I, think, I, yeah, I think I know where we're going to go with this one a little bit, but... When we talk about sustainability and collaboration, how do you see, and I have a feeling you've talked about a lot of the pieces already, but what role does collaboration have in 
our sustainability or vice versa? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's one I've been reflecting on for a while. You know, we use the term sustainability as a label. But, you know, I, when I think of sustainability, I go back to the Brundtland Commission, which created uh, Grow Harlem Brundtland, published a book called Our Common Future. And what it set out was really the, to me, the, still the foundation of sustainability, or then it was sustainable development. And it was that our aspirations for a strong economy, a healthy environment, and social well-being are interdependent. You, you can't achieve one without the other. So when they went to third world countries like uh, you know India and looked at the terrible poverty there, you know you had to look at those problems from multiple points of view. And you know they they had governance issues, they had many root cause issues that went outside of the realm of poverty into the economy and into into the environment areas. So when you're dealing with sustainable development, it requires convening across disciplines. It's bringing economic interests together with social interests and environmental interests that allows for new thinking to occur. It's uh, almost by definition uh, surfaces solutions you didn't imagine. And, And so more and more what I think of is that sustainable development or sustainability to really truly take that approach to problems. It requires convening across these interests and bringing that diversity to a table. You know, some of my thinking recently in the in the area of sustainability and just good social and environmental governance kinds of things, ESG, I almost wonder whether the degree of collaboration is is almost a measure of the success of that. So it's, I've never heard it put that way that, you know, you have to collaborate with others in order to make it work and that we should be looking directly at the degree of collaboration as a measure of success. I'm kind of curious how that resonates with you. Yeah, that that's a, an important thought because there's what we need to do and that often gets the headlines. There's the how you organize to do it that I often think is overlooked. So as we set pledges and obligations that folks are committing to to outcomes like net zero, uh, it's an easy pledge to, to make. How you organize to achieve it is really where the rubber hits the road. And I, I do worry that that's been underestimated by many of the companies and organizations who have uh, committed to it because it will involve bringing interests that are beyond climate right into, you know, it's, these are changes to business models. They're uh, changes of investor expectations. They're system changes on a grand scale often. And you can only do those kinds of things through convening differently. So the need for innovation and in how, parties work together and collaborate, I think is going to be uh, an, an immense challenge as we look ahead. You know, it sounds to me like many of the lessons learned during the assembly of COSIA are 
particularly apt in this world of of sustainability going forward and and as we're talking addressing these kind of interesting challenges is there anything that i haven't asked you that you'd like to add before we go to a couple of uh, wrap-up questions well I, I i will just put on a alberta hat here for a moment partly because i've got a lot of historic uh, perspective on it uh having spent my entire career in alberta uh, but working with multi-stakeholders i i just want to say Alberta, in our heritage, has demonstrated this ability to collaborate to me in a very powerful way. Uh, I remember back in the day uh, setting up, I was part of the small design group that was involved in creating the Clean Air Strategic Alliance, or CASA. And CASA was a really leading-edge model at, at the time that brought environmental interests together with business folks on the economic side and and with community and other stakeholders on airsheds and other things to advise government on how to manage air quality better. Water has a long heritage of collaboration within Alberta, which I find, you know, very encouraging because uh, it, it just illustrates that you can govern uh, and achieve important outcomes on environmental problems through very diverse interests coming together. So this is a road we've traveled on. I think now, though, as we get into energy transition and a carbon-constrained world, that Alberta is going to be challenged to collaborate at in ways and at a scale we haven't had to up till now. We're part of the global the global uh, journey on uh, low carbon future on a low carbon future we have tremendous expertise but we're going to have to work together in new ways to to take that on right work together in new ways <laughs> collaborating as we go collaborating our way forward in a way <laughs> yeah that's a great way to put it yeah thank you uh, i always ask for book suggestions so i'm curious what is a book that you would give as a gift to somebody or typically or that you would highly recommend yeah uh, there's a book that I, i've used a lot of the uh, insights from it on and over my time called the dance of change by peter senge and it wasn't centered on collaboration uh, per se but it did set out a model that is simple but powerful of you know defining a current state but not getting caught up in that it's mostly designing the future state, the desired future state, and then how do you get from where we're at now to that desired future state? So it's a creative tension model. I use that uh, model to design the workshops we use to create COSIA. So all of that early dialogue we've had in this podcast of looking in the mirror and saying the current state wasn't working uh, the way it needed to that was part of the design process, uh, but we spent a great deal of time on what would it be if we designed a new a new way of working together. That's where IP sharing surfaced was in that desired future state part of our workshop process, and we tabled things that just were felt to be impossible. So the IP sharing very much in that mode, but. In desired future state thinking, you you don't 
artificially imposed limitations. You say, what what would it be ideally? And uh, so that that book has had a, a big influence on, on my toolbox personally. And I, I encourage it to uh, others for sure. Well, I'll, uh, I have not had a chance to look at that or see that book before. So I'm looking forward to, to adding it to the pile of books that I, I'm going to be reviewing over the summer. <laughs> when you think about the world of collaboration, is there a leader or some other figure that you particularly admire for their collaborative mentality? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, on on a more local level, uh, you know, Judy Fairburn and Joy Romero were very powerful collaboration partners of mine in technology and innovation generally, and COSIA in particular. Joy has since gone on to create the can help create the Canada Resource Innovation Network, which is a collaboration across sectors within the natural resources world. And Judy is now playing heavily in the clean tech arena, convening women to uh, play a very important role in Alberta's uh, clean tech ecosystem. So, uh, you know, at the level of uh, people I admire and, and uh, oh, and Laura Kilcrease, who's the CEO of Alberta Innovates, also a tremendous uh, collaborative leader in how she convenes players within the innovation world of Alberta, uh, per se. More broadly, uh, Bruce Mao is a fellow that I also have uh, a lot of uh, admiration for. He's he's a, a very powerful uh, figure in the architect world, uh, but he is uh, adopting a, a personal commitment to massive change and how to encourage and accelerate massive change of things like our energy system and other, otherwise. So as a source of thought leadership, I, I uh, looked at Bruce Mao as an interesting player. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing those names. And I'm looking forward to, to digging in and maybe seeing what some of these folks have been, have been doing on my own. So I, I like that. I want to take this opportunity to say thank you for taking the time to speak with me today and, and for sharing your, your insights into COSIA and some of the technical aspects of all of that. And sharing your insights and collaboration in general. So thank you very much, Gord. Scott, it's a real pleasure. And I think it's so important what you're doing of trying to develop a community of collaborators uh, and a, a field of practice in that field because it's, uh, it, it's important we do it. We improve on what we've done from the past and, and do what we're, we need to do in the future in a very deliberate and strategic, thoughtful way. So yeah, good on you for taking this on. Well, thank you. I really appreciate Gord's thoughtful approach to collaboration. He brings a kind of practicality to the field and then works to build the kind of agreements and the kind of trust that will make it all work. I like how he explains the chemistry of building trust in a highly technical, highly proprietary arena like oil sands development. I can only imagine how challenging some of those collaborations were, given that they were working towards a sharing of intellectual property amongst companies. I love hearing that the barriers that existed at the beginning for Cosia have fallen, and there is more sharing now than when they started. It's also really good to hear Gord's thoughts on how innovation and collaboration come together, how the scale and the outcome of work might affect which companies come together and which ones may stay out. As always, this was a great conversation, and I want to thank Gord Lambert for sharing his thoughts. 
Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Cool Collaborations. Please make sure you visit collaboration-dynamics.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, in Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to sign up for our mailing list so interesting things like blog posts, upcoming training, or collaboration tips and tricks can come to your inbox. If you like what you heard, I'd be grateful for a rating in Apple Podcasts. Of course, if you'd like to just tell a friend about the show, that would be great too. Check out the show notes for links and contact information. Until the next episode, thanks and happy collaborating.